You're listening to Church on the Path Inspiration Podcast. Brought to you by Holy Fire. And broadcasting from the heart of Brisbane City, Australia. Speaking today is Pastor Glenn Gerhauser. Hallelujah. Today's message is entitled Friendship with God. Friendship with God. And we'll pray and then I'll get into it. Father, I want to thank you that you have called us into a friendship relationship with you. And I'm asking that you would give me grace to share your word, that it would come alive to us, that our spirit person would be built up within us, that we would be stronger and equipped and set free. Uh, Bless this time in my sharing and help us to really take it all in, to digest it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen? Amen. All right, pray this with me with conviction. Put your hands on your hearts, please. Dear Jesus, speak to my heart. And change my life. Amen. Amen. So friendship with, friendship with God. Today, we'll begin where we concluded last week, reading Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. After Paul paints a panoramic view of God's grace from Romans chapter 1 to chapter 11, He calls us to respond, and Romans 12, 1 through 2 is Paul's altar call. So he's just been expounding on the grace of God, how great and rich is the grace and compassion and mercy of God, what he's done for us. He's been talking about the cross and uh, the Spirit of God, and also God's grace to Israel, too. Uh, That's uh, Romans chapter 11 and how that grace is still meant to be unfolded. And after he talks about all of this, he gives a quote-unquote altar call. And so we'll read that here. And this is, okay, this is the, we're going, I'm supposed to go back here. I'll read it first in the NIV version, and then I'll read it in my recent translation. So first in the NIV version here, Romans 12, 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So now I'm going to read it from the latest infographic style translation I, uh, I've done last week, Authentic Worship. You can download this at brisbanefire.com. Go to Inspiration Fire 
online store and you can download it for free. Um, it'll be in like in a package with the whole, whole message, the message and some other stuff. So let's look at this, Romans 12, 1 through 2. So I urge you, family, because of God's compassion, surrender your whole lives as a living sacrifice, an offering set apart and enjoyable to God. That's authentic worship. Don't be shaped by this age, but be metamorphosized by your mind's renewal, enabling you to test like gold in the fire what is genuinely God's desire, his good, enjoyable, and complete will. Amen? Amen. So here is Paul's call for us to offer our lives on the altar as a living sacrifice. It's a call for us to surrender. And I want to emphasize that this needs to be done daily. The, in order for it to be effective, it's a daily thing, a daily surrender, offering our lives as a living sacrifice, an offering set apart and enjoyable to God. And that's authentic worship. He goes on to say, don't be shaped by this age, but be metamorphosized by your mind's renewal. Friendship with God. So this is my backyard cafe again. <laughs> and it hasn't been getting much use uh, for a while because it has been quite messy back there. But just uh, this week, I, inspired by last week and the photo from last week, I thought, I got to get back there. And I, for some reason back there, I feel close to God in that spot. So it's just in the backyard. It's not far. It's a table. I call it a backyard cafe, but as you know, it's a little bit of a joke because it's just a table with two chairs. I make my own coffee, so I save some money there. You know, some of these places are charging over $7 for a coffee. That's quite expensive now. But uh, yesterday, uh, was it Friday, there's Coles, the new Coles on uh, Albert Street, on the Queen Street Mall, but Albert Street. It's got coffee for $2 or $2.50. Uh, and it's, you put your cup there, you tap it, and yeah, that's pretty good. But more, better if you can make it yourself, right? <laughs> so, and someone, who gave me, someone gave me that cup that's up there as a Christmas gift. Uh, I think it was a Christmas or a birthday gift, and it's been a real blessing. So there, I have it there. So the question before us is this. You thought I was going to talk about coffee the whole time, but no. <laughs> what is friendship with God, and how do you achieve it? What is friendship with God, and how do you achieve it? So we're going to be asking that question throughout this message. First, I'd like to say that you don't achieve friendship with God. It's not something you can earn or work for. God is way out of your league. <laughs> but you can be saved into friendship with God. You become God's friend by receiving his warm invitation. And the good news is that he has extended that invitation to you. And salvation means being saved into this close friendship 
with God. So you can't achieve it on your own, but you can be invited into it. And that's the good news is that Jesus has called everyone. He's calling everyone into that friendship with him. We see here, I'll start at Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So how beautiful is that? That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then we go on reading in Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sin. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. But notice that how Paul uses this word. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and gift and the gift that came by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. So he was seeing here Paul talk about the gift, the gift of God. And how this salvation, it's a gift. How beautiful that it's a gift and it's received. Well, this is my latest pro project. My latest project has been Colossians, and I've been working many months on that. I could say that I've been working on this for, say, 30 years, <laughs> 30 years of studying Hebrew, Greek, the Bible, to this is my, like, I guess the first fruits of my translational work as a complete book. I've been translating bits and pieces of the Bible, but this is Colossians, the mystery, and this is my prototype. I don't know if you can see here, because I'm going to read, I'm going to read you a part from this, but you can see there's like scripture art, and then there's the translation, and there's a lot of white space and large print so that you can engage with it. And so on every page, there is some type of artwork, and then a, a scripture. At the end of it, I talk about Colossians. There's some questions for engaging the text. And there's also some, some more material there. So, so that's it. It's, a, it's, about, it's over uh, 50 pages. And it should be out this week. So if you want to pre-order a copy, let us know. Um, I'd like to, there'll be a digital copy, and there'll also be a print copy. You'll be able to download it also from the Inspiration Fire online store at brisbanefire.com. But I said all that to get to this. Uh, this is one of the scripture arts there. And it correlates with what 
Paul says about the gift. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's Colossians 1, 22, and the first part there. But now he has brought you into harmony with him. But now he has brought you into harmony with him. Listen to those words. And one of my goals in this translation is to get you to just stop, to pause, to slow down, and to think about what, and give you fresh, give you fresh words to think about the scriptures. But now he has brought you into harmony with him. And here, it, this is what it looks at, like laid out. And uh, part of the work is laying it out in a, a graphically, aesthetic, pleasing way. And I'll, I'll zoom in there and I'll read this part. So now I'm reading Colossians 1, 21 through 23. Colossians chapter 1, 21 through 23 in the translation I've been working on. Alienated, isolated strangers. Your thinking was at war with him. Your work's evil. But now he has brought you into harmony with him. You're reconciled. It happened in his body's flesh through his death. He has caused you to stand with those set apart, the holy ones, without blemish and free from accusation before him. United, connected friends. God did this for a purpose so that you remain steadfast and strong. He has laid a firm foundation to keep you from swaying from the hope of the good news you've heard. This good news has been preached in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become its servant. And I want to highlight to you that first part of the second paragraph there, united, connected friends. And this is something that God did. God brought the harmony. God did the reconciliation. And he did it through the cross. And he did it through his, the sacrifice of his life and his blood. Listen to what Jesus says in his talk about the vine and the branches. This is John 15, 13 through 15. And we touched on it last week. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. To lay down one's life for one's friends. So this is the example of love. This is the demonstration and definition of what love is. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. Then I want us to think about that uh, second sentence there. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. And really, he's, he's referring to here to a slave who doesn't know his master's business. So I'd like to put the word slave in there because as the word servant 
Uh, usually in Scripture is a, is a compliment for if you're a servant of God, that's a compliment. And, and we hear God calling John in Revelation a servant. But here he's referring to being a slave who doesn't know his master's business. And so he doesn't call us the slave who doesn't know. He's brought us into that intimate friendship with him. You are my friends if you do what I command and after this, I will go to the verses after this, John 15 and verse 16. This is where Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. That's the point I was making at first. You did not choose me. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for, his, for one's friends. So when Jesus came, we were, we were sinners. But remember, he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And what is he doing when he's on the cross? He's laying down his life for his friends. So he's not seeing us as enemies. Though we may be enemies toward him, he's embracing us as us as friends, even when we don't deserve it. Even when we don't deserve it, while we were still sinners, he's taking us to himself. He's laying down his life. Moving forward. What what is biblical friendship? If you study all the references to friends in Scripture, you can sum it up as closeness, oneness, confidence, like a confidant. You put your confidence in someone. You share some, something with somebody in confidence. Trust and warmth. So you can sum up friendship in Scripture. And yesterday I looked at Pretty much every reference uh, of friend in Scripture. And this is how I would sum it up. It's closeness, oneness, confidence, trust, and warmth. And this is the kind of relationship God wants with us. And it's the reason why Jesus laid down his life on the cross. He wanted to be friends with us. Now, this is different than religion where God is so far away, he's untouchable. And then we're over here. And yes, God is, is uh, untouchable, but then he's coming after us to bring us into himself. So he does not want to remain untouchable. So, and then many times we live our life not as friends of God, but in conflict with God or distant from God. Not that sense of closeness, but I want to bring out that Jesus died on the cross for friendship with us, intimacy with us, closeness with us, and it's a relationship of trust and warmth where he gives us his word, and when he gives us his word, he's trusting us. He's putting confidence in us. I say this to you in confidence. That's, it. That's 
the sense of what Jesus is saying in John 15. I say this to you in confidence. Then we're to take his words, treasure it, hold it dear, and listen. You are my friends if you listen. So friendship is about listening. Could you imagine? You say, hey, someone's your friend, but you never listen to them. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, how, what, what name should I use here? Uh, Henry. What's a good Henry? No, not, let's not use Henry because the Henry's the duck. <laughs> no. no, the kids have named Henry uh, this duck in the park. They named him Henry. Uh, Bruce, let's go for Bruce, right? <laughs> hey, you know, um, uh, I'm friends with Bruce, but then Bruce says, you ever listen to me? Do you ever talk to me? So in friendship, there's a, there's a closeness. We talk to one another. We exchange uh, thoughts. And this is what God wants with us. He wants us to listen to him, and he also listens to us, and that's what prayer that's what prayer is. And here's a great picture here of friendship. We you have two, two kids walking down a path together, one with their arm around the other. In Scripture, friends reflect one another, having a reciprocal relationship. They receive from one another and give. So it's not a one-way street, and it's not one-sided. There's a giving and a receiving in a friendship, and they become one soul. So it's, it, it isn't easy to see the distinction between them because of how one they become. It's difficult to see the distinction between them, and this is why Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command or if you listen to what I say there is that reciprocal relationship with him. So in Scripture, friends reflect one another, having this reciprocal relationship of giving and receiving. Those who are friends with God have laid down their lives to listen to Jesus, just as Jesus laid down his life. So I want you to see that reciprocal relationship. Jesus laid down his life on the cross, and then we are called to lay down our own lives as a living sacrifice. And this is friendship. Those who are friends with God have laid down their lives to listen to Jesus. Just as Jesus laid down his life, God's friends lay down their lives. Their desire is God's desire. As friends, they seek to understand Jesus and to carry out his commands. Is this coming in clearer focus? You're starting to see this. One of the most beautiful examples of friendship in Scripture is Jonathan and David. In 1 Samuel 18.1, we'll turn over there, 1 Samuel 18.1. Now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as himself. Now this is 1 Samuel 18, 1. 
Now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul, that's David, after David had finished talking with Saul, says the NIV translates it here, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. The NASB here I'm quoting, and I like that visual picture. It's a little bit more literal, the NASB, and I like that visual picture of knitting, that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. You hear that? That's that knitting together, that weaving together of the two. The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as himself. So that's that oneness we see. And then what does Jonathan do? Jonathan is Saul's son. And Jonathan was next in line to be king because he was Saul's firstborn. But he laid down his rightful ownership of the throne and willfully gave it to David. I'd like to, if you keep your finger there, 1 Samuel 18, if you're there. And then we look at 1 Samuel 23, 17. Notice what Jonathan says here to David. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. Now, this is interesting because according to kingship lineage, it's Jonathan who is meant to be the next one in line to be king. And yet he knows that God has anointed David. And Jonathan, instead of attacking David, says, oh, this one's a threat to me. Jonathan lays down his life as a friend for David and accepts God's will, accepts God's will for David's life and for his life. So Jonathan, Saul's son, was next in line to be king, 1 Samuel 14, 49, but he laid down his rightful ownership of the throne and willfully gave it to David. This is visually portrayed when Jonathan strips himself of his robe and armor, giving them to David. So back to 1 Samuel 18, we keep on reading there, um, Jonathan becomes one in soul with David. And then verse 2, from that day, David kept Jonathan with him. Sorry, from that day, Saul, sorry, not, not Jonathan, uh, verse 2. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And verse 3, this is the part I want to get to. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing, and gave it to David. Notice how he's divesting himself of his royalty. And he's giving him the robe he was wearing. So Jonathan took, took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic, or it could be translated as armor, and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. And then it says, whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. So here's a picture of Jonathan stripping himself of his robe, his royalty, his armor, and giving them to David. We see him giving his sword and his bow and his belt. And that word tunic can also be a word for armor. So Jonathan is giving David, these valuable possessions that are his. 
Jonathan means Yahweh gives. Natan is the classic word for give in Hebrew. And then we have Yahweh before that, a form of Yahweh. Yahweh gives. In this story, Jonathan is a type of Christ who gave everything for us, his Davids, so that we would reign with him. The cross is Jesus being stripped of his royalty and armor so that he could give them to us. And now Paul calls us to put on the full armor of God. Notice it's the armor of God. It's God's armor, and he's giving it to us. And the reason why he can give it to us is because he was stripped of it on the cross so that he can give it to us. So we'll turn there to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. And Valerie, are you around? Valerie, Valerie, come up, come up here for a second. She's been, uh, she doesn't know I'm doing this. I'm putting her on the spot. <laughs> Valerie, do you mind sharing with us Ephesians 6.10 that you've been memorizing? Okay, um, can I um, please, oh, wait a second to remember. Um, okay. Finally. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 11. <laughs> and and a, uh, a strum of the guitar. <laughs> Thank you, Valerie. Great job. So it starts off, finally, be strong in the Lord. I, I always like to venture here, it's not be strong in your own strength. It's be strong in the Lord. And how is that possible? It's possible when you put on the full armor of God. And what, it, what is the full armor of God? It's God's own armor. Basically, it's who God is. And he's giving his nature and his grace to us. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, we live in a day of evil, evidenced by the attack against Israel and it was so brutal. I was listening to one interview. I don't, re I don't think the, the news definitely can't bring out how brutal the attack was. This was a surprise attack from Hamas. And they went in. They, I don't even want to mention all the things that they did. But uh, one thing is they, they went into civilians' homes and they killed people and they killed this mom. Uh, a civilian. This is not a soldier. They just go into the house. They killed the mom. And then they took her phone and posted these graphic pictures of the mom and posted it to her Facebook. So the family finds out that the mom has been uh, slaughtered through Facebook by taking her own phone and posting the pictures. And this is Hamas. Hamas, uh, that is in control of the Palestinians. Hamas is like a, an evil, evil ruler, principality that has uh, controlled the Palestinian people. God wants to set the Palestinian 
people free, but unfortunately, there is a lot of darkness over them. And they believe in terrorism. And they use, they use hospitals and childcare centers for human shields. Uh, they put rockets on them and then fire rockets into Israel. They will do, they will, they have no problem killing babies and kids and hostages and slaughter. It's, it's just, it's quite normal for Hamas to do these things. And so then when Israel defends itself, then it looks bad because they use their people as human shields. It's always been their tactic. And so then when Israel uh, fights back or tries to defend themselves, it's like, uh, oh, oh, look what they did to me. <laughs> look what they did to us. Yeah, but look what you did. And that's the kind of the evil behind Hamas, um, a bit like ISIS. But they were, people were saying they did worse atrocities than ISIS. Anyway, that doesn't mean that Israel is guiltless. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All races, all people, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I make this point that we live in an evil day and there's evil that is trying to attack your mind and your family and your marriage and trying to bring it down. And this is why we need to put on the full armor of God so that we can stand against it. And realize that Jesus paid the ultimate price to give us this armor so that it's so close to us. It's, it's wrapped around us. And we need to be wrapped around the very nature of who God is. The cross is Jesus being stripped of his royalty and armor so that he could give them to us. And now Paul calls us to put on the full armor of God. It's Christ's eternal armor that he gives us through the cross. That's what the armor of God is. Taking up this armor causes you to be strong in the Lord. So now listen to the armor. The first thing to put on is the belt. Verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And God is truth. His word is truth. And so he's giving us the truth of who he is. Wrap that around you, right? And then the breastplate of righteousness in place. There's no one righteous except Jesus. God alone is righteous, and he is giving us his righteousness. This is a gift. This is the great gift of Romans, that God gives us his righteousness. So he's given us his righteousness as a free gift to wear, and this protects our hearts our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the good news of peace. He is giving us his shalom. My peace I give you, Jesus says. Not as the world gives, I give to you. My peace I give you. So he gives us his peace. And then we see the shield of faith. The Lord gives us his own faith, the same faith that Christ had while he walked on earth. That trust, he gives it to us with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And then it says, take up the helmet of salvation. Salvation, again, is a gift, but it's a gift based on the cross. And so we have this helmet worth more than anything in the world. It's priceless. And this helmet of salvation, we need to put it on our heads and let our minds be filled with the thoughts of God's salvation. And then the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God, God's very own word, which is himself, he gives to us. 
So just as Jonathan gave to David, Christ gives to us his armor. And it's all, and we see a picture, a foreshadowing in the Old Testament of Jonathan stripping himself in order to give. And this is covenant. Jonathan is making a covenant with David, a covenant. And on the cross, Jesus made a covenant with us. So we receive this armor because of a covenant. And a covenant is all about being made one. So we're in this covenant friendship with God. We use Christ's armor to fight God's battles against darkness. We know that David then becomes a great warrior. Well, he started out by slaying Goliath, but then he went on winning one military campaign after another, and he rose in rank. We use Christ's armor to fight God's battles against darkness. And it's, in, it's, it's invisible battle, but you can, see, you can see it played out in the natural realm. And this armor enables us to be successful. It also leads us to be like Jesus and lay down our lives for the good news. Just as Jonathan and David were woven together as one soul through their covenant, Jesus' new covenant binds us with him. His spirit becomes our spirit. We are bound to Jesus. We are friends with him. This covenant friendship, this binding, also could be talked about as a marriage. This analogy can also be used. Are you seeing this? Are you, are you seeing this? Is it stirring up your soul? I hope it's stirring up your soul to see what Jesus has done. Abraham is another example of friendship. He's called a friend of God. You'll read about that in 2 Chronicles 27 and James 2.23. His friendship was seen in his sacrifice. So... He makes this sacrifice to enter into covenant with God, and it reflects God's own sacrifice. Jesus being uh, the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the earth. So we're seeing this sacrifice here in Genesis 15, but also we very well know of Abraham offering up his son Isaac on the altar in Genesis chapter 22. A reflection of God's sacrifice. Now look at, let's look at Genesis 15, 10 through 11. Abram brought all these to him. It was the sacrifice that the Lord was calling for. The Lord said, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And Abraham brought all these things to him. Now, sacrifice always needs to be a response to God's call. It's not something we should do of our own initiative, but in response to what God has called us to do, and, and he has called us to lay down our lives before him. Abraham brought all these to him cut them in two and arrange the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, however, he didn't cut in half. 
And then we read in verse 11, the birds of prey came down on the caucuses, but Abram drove them away. Now, we'll get, that, get to that in a second. So we see that Abraham entered into a covenant with God through sacrifice. And Jesus enters into a covenant with us through sacrifice and also calls us to enter into that covenant through the sacrifice of our own lives as well. Going back to verse 11. Then the birds of prey came down on the Caucasus, but Abram drove them away. So just because... I want to make this point. Just because Abraham is doing the will of God doesn't mean he does not have opposition. The birds of prey are coming down on the sacrifice. God himself was present there. God himself told Abraham to bring the sacrifice. And yet Abraham has to ward off the birds of prey. Why didn't God do that? Because there's a lesson in it. But Abraham has to defend the sacrifice. The devil is like those birds of prey as well as all the demons. They're trying to rob the sacrifice of your life. And they're trying to pick at it and, and throw thoughts your way. And trying to ruin that sacrifice. And you, like Abraham, have to stand up and fight. You've got to take your stand. Now, we often wonder, why is God allowing this? The reason why God allows the enemy to attack us is because he's trying to train us to be warriors. And there's no way else to become a warrior unless we fight. You have to fight. You have to stand. You're not going to have that intimate relationship with God if everything is so easy. You need to put on the full armor of God. Put it on close to you. And, that, and you do that not just by saying, I put on the righteousness of God. You can do that, and that, that's the beginning. But you do it by meditating on and reflecting on, oh, I have this gift of righteousness. Jesus has made me righteous. He has called me to live a right life through his grace. And so I'm going to receive his righteousness and live righteously. And that's how you put on that armor, and you got to keep it on. And the same thing with that helmet of salvation. How do you put on that helmet of salvation? You keep on remembering God's salvation, His deliverance, His Word. So when you're spending time in the Word and you're doing it with a true heart, you're putting on the armor of God. If you're spending time in prayer with the Word, you're putting on the full armor of God. And through that armor, you're going to be able to stand against the devil. Now, if God himself being so tangible there with Abraham, and yet Abraham, Abraham had to drive away the birds of prey, how much more do we need to drive away the birds of prey? So these thoughts that come and attack your mind, and these things that come that attack your, your marriage, your family, uh, your uh, identity, all these things, um, doesn't mean that you are a bad person. <laughs> uh, Jesus has saved you. What it does mean is you need to fight. You need to stand. And especially when you're offering yourself as a living sacrifice, when you're offering yourself as a living sacrifice, you're vulnerable, you're broken. Many times you're in tears. 
saying, God, I'm giving you everything. I'm weak. I cannot do this. You're offering yourself. And you're pouring out your life. You're pouring out your blood on the altar. And the enemy smells the blood. And just like these birds of prey, they smell the sacrifice. They smell the death. They smell the blood. And they try to come and steal that. And so as you offer yourself as a living sacrifice, be forewarned that there is going to be a battle as well. And that you got to stand up. And just because you're on the altar doesn't mean you're not going to be attacked. It is a safe place to be, but the enemy is going to try to, try to pick at you. So like Abraham, learn to drive away the birds of prey. These birds can smell blood and death. And laying your life on the altar makes you vulnerable. So what are you going to say? Well, I'm not going to lay my life on the altar. No. <laughs> That's going to even be worse. Yeah. Laying your life on the altar makes you vulnerable. As you lay your life down daily, fight off the thoughts and feelings the evil one is trying to project on you. Again, you, there's a, an old saying, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from making a nest on your head. <laughs> and uh, putting it in line with the story, you can't stop the birds of prey attacking you, but you can drive them away. Now, I, I think Abraham, you know, my picture is that he's, he's got the staff in his hand. And uh, excuse me, guys. You know, he's a little bit older. Bless you, Chris. His, 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 his knees aren't working so well. He's a little bit older, but he's entering into this covenant with God. He's, he cuts the sacrifice. He's got two, sacri two pieces of the sacrifice there. He's entering into covenant with God. And all of a sudden, he hears the, the sound of these, these swelling birds of prey. Well, that's not uh, a good sound. <laughs> but this whistling sound he hears. And he's taking his staff and he's swatting at them. Get away, you pesky parasites. Get away. Out of here. Out of here. I'm entering into a covenant with God. God is my friend. Out. 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 And uh, somebody's looking at him from a distance and thinks, this guy is crazy. <laughs> but he's out there, whether he has a staff or his hands, he's doing whatever he can to drive those birds of prey away. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And, <laughs> and uh, this, is, this, is what we need to, this is what we need to do, too. Many times we think something is of ourselves, a feeling or a thought. But it's not from us, it's from the enemy. In the kingdom, surrender and warfare go together like two wings. We surrender to God and resist the devil. And we got to do both at the same time. Relatively the same time. Uh, we're surrendering to God. But then we find 
The enemy is trying to come, so we resist the devil. You'll also have to do this in worship because sometimes the enemy is throwing firing, fiery darts while you're worshiping. While you're singing, you're thinking, what's happening here? You've got to drive them away, drive away those attacks. We surrender to God and resist the devil. But it will not go well with you if you submit to temptation and resist God. That's the opposite thing is submitting to temptation and resisting God. So, as it says in James 4.7, we should always remember the James 4.7 principle. I'm sure you've heard it before. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I like how this is all in one verse. Submit yourselves then to God. And that's what you do when you put your life on the altar. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So there's that resistance not resisting God, but resisting the devil. We're coming to an end here. So God's call to sacrifice our lives is not God being mean to us. God's call to sacrifice our lives is not God being mean to us. Yes, many people see it like that. It moves them to run away from God when they hear, of, oh, I've got to sacrifice my life. But instead, think of it in a right way. God's call to sacrifice is an invitation to be friends with him, to join with his heart and soul, to live in covenant with him, because he sacrificed everything for us. To be friends with him is to reciprocate, to uh, yeah, reciprocate and uh, reflect what he has done. So God's call to sacrifice is an invitation to be friends with him, to join with his heart and soul, to live in covenant with him. So this brings us to what we started with, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so I'll read this again. So I urge you, family, because of God's compassion, surrender your whole lives as a living sacrifice, an offering set apart and enjoyable to God. That's authentic worship. Don't be shaped by this age, but be metamorphosized by your mind's renewal, enabling you to test like gold in a fire what is genuinely God's desire, His good, enjoyable, and complete will. Amen. Let's, let's pray, and then we'll have Anna lead us in a song. Thank you, thank you, Jesus, for all that you have given us. You didn't just give us a gift, you gave us yourself. Yourself is the gift. And in giving yourself, you've given us, you've given us your truth, your righteousness, your peace. You've given us your faith. You've given us your salvation your deliverance, your help. You've given us your word. And I'm uh, praying now that as a, as a body, we would be equipped. Because we live in an evil day. We live in a time where the enemy's attacks are becoming more roar and increasing. And it's all because you're calling us to stand firm. 
I pray for husbands to stand firm and fight against every attack on their family. Father, I pray for parents to be able to stand against every attack against our children, and we stand against it right now in Jesus' name. Lord, as a body of Christ, that we stand against every evil attack against the church to bring division, to bring strife, to keep people from being present, to, uh, to distract us from our call. Lord, we stand against it in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we want to be those who lay our lives down on the altar, surrendering all, not just when we come here, but each day we're surrendering. Each day we're putting our lives on the altar. Each day we're living that life of worship. And as we do that, we realize that the birds of prey are going to come, but you have given us your armor to fight against them. So I pray for a great spirit of boldness within us, a warrior spirit like David to fight the good fight of faith, to not give up, to understand and that we would live our lives in friendship with you, that intimacy, that friendship with you. Thank you, thank you, Father, that we could be friends with you. We could be friends with you. What a great privilege, what a great joy. There's nothing greater than to be friends with you. And so we, we thank you for that friendship you have called us into. Thank you, Jesus. And um, I'm just uh, asking for your spirit to be poured upon us as we, as we worship you. Amen. Amen. So now I'd like us to put in practice what we've learned by worshiping. Uh, um, We've got Anna here. And so in this worship, I'd like us to all stand if we can stand. And I want to see us, I want us to be practicing. I want you to see yourself as putting yourself on the altar as you worship.